Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Pastor of Ministry Mobilization, Guy Smith. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. So we're in a series called Restore. Uh, Restore, the series, is about how before the fall, it was good. Before Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve sinned, it, it was, life was good. Life was not hard. But when sin came, life got harder. Now, we're not going to get back there. Okay, we're not going to get back to the Garden of Eden. We're not going to get back to the perfectness of who God is. We're not going to get there. We'll get there at the end of time. But we can try. We can try to be those Christians, those men and women of God that want to be godly people, godly men and women, so that way we can glorify God in who we are and what we do that brings glory to God and brings fulfillment in our lives. I'll read Genesis 2.15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man out, took, took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Before sin entered the world, work was good. Work was, uh, was not laborious, was not toilsome. It was good. It had a purpose. There was a reason. You know, um, Abraham named all the animals. That must have taken a long time. He got to cultivate the fields. They did all sorts of different things, but it was okay. After the sin, this is what happened. Read in Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and had eaten from the tree about which I command you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for it you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So how do we get back there? How do we get from this place where work is now hard, work is now sometimes labor-intensive, right? We're, we've got jobs that ha, ha, are that way or have had jobs that way. How do we get to the point where we go, you know what? I'm getting to my job, but it's okay because I want to glorify my God through my job. How, how do we get that way? How do we get that way? So what makes a I, I thought this was funny. I read this the other day. I said, what makes a Christian, what makes a work Christian? Maybe it's a, a coffee shop called Hebrews. Hebrews. Uh, sorry. Maybe it's a barber shop called A Cut Above. A Cut Above. Are you all out there? No, I hear breathing, so I know you guys are there. So, so what makes our job Christian? Maybe it's maybe we, our job we go, have a blessed day. They go, whew, that's pretty Christian of you. Merry Christmas. That's pretty Christian. Well, that's not what makes a, a job Christian at all. But those are good things. But I think what makes a job, a Christian job or a person, a Christian worker is how they reflect God's image and how they take whatever's coming in and say, you know what? It's all for God's glory. It's all for God's glory. 
If you get the glory, that's no good. Or as I, all my Spanish I know, it's no bueno. That's all the Spanish I know. Well, I know a couple more words, but we won't share those today. So one of the teaching tools they used to use many years ago was called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And this is the number one, number one, it says, what is the chief end of man? It's a question and answer just to help teach kids and adults um, theology. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's pretty easy, right? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For we have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Well, how do you do that? How do you glorify God with everything you have all the time? It's not easy. Because we live real lives. Real life happens at work, right? Real life happens where we live, work, and play. We're going to go through some of these things. and By no means this is a complete exhaustive list. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. So if your Bibles turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now this is a very familiar passage to most of, you, most of us. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. We're going to talk about salt and light. But we're not going to spend the whole time on this. We're going to spend a brief moment. Then we're going to end up kind of leaping off on verse 16. Um, and we'll get there in just a second. But being salt and light, we see that when we do baptism, right? We're salt of the earth. We're light in the world. So let me go ahead and read that for us. Um, starting with verse 13. And Jesus says, you are the, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. This is, this is the big verse that we're going to use today is, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they, they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Salt and light. Salt and light. Number one, God, being salt glorifies God. Jesus spoke all these words after the Beatitudes which had a lot to do with his character. So salt and light. How can we be salt? Well, salt was good for used for food. Um, just a couple attributes of, go, of salt, and then we'll move on. Um, one thing I like is that salt flavors food, right? How many of y'all put salt on your food when you eat it? How many of y'all just flavor with salt as you're cooking? Yeah, I do that because I, I don't. I like to cook with a little salt, but I don't put salt on it afterwards just because I like the flavor as I cooked it. But salt flavors the food, right? We as Christians should flavor where we work, live, and play. We should have some sort of impact, if you will. Or as have you've heard Joe say when he baptizes Pastor Joe, he'll say, be a change agent, because it changes the flavor in your mouth. We should do that. Our, our saltiness should, should do that. I, like, I, I think that my favorite characteristic of salt is that it, 
it creates thirst. It creates thirst. And I think as Christians, we should create that thirst so people want to know who Jesus is in our life. As, so as we're at our work, we do something good, or at our work, or, or we live, work, and play, wherever we are, we do something good, we do something that's maybe out of the ordinary. People go, well, why do you do that? Why did you come back? You came back from the parking lot because I gave you a dollar too much change. Why did you do that? Say, because I'm a Christian, and that's what I'm supposed to do because I want to be honest. And people look at you weird like, I would have kept it. But don't keep it. That's not being salt. That's not being light. We're supposed to be different. So when was the last time you were salt in a situation? When was the last time you took a moral stand for something? When was the last time you heard something that was unchristian said or denigrating to somebody else or ugly or whatever it is that you knew was wrong and stood up against it? When was the last time you did that? The other day, I don't make a habit of doing things like this, but the other day I was listening to a radio station. Um, they talked about um, being a child of God. Everybody's a child of God. Theologically wrong. Everybody is born, everybody is born in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Everybody's born in the image of God. You don't become a child of God until you accept him, Jesus as your Savior. John chapter 1. So I just, I, just sent a, I just sent a quick email. I was, very, I was trying to be very kind. I haven't heard back from him. Imagine that. But when was the last time at work where you were, you heard something that was wrong and you stood up? I think that's being, being the salt. We need to step into these, maybe an uncomfortable um, conversation, but we need to have that. Being salt. Salt with impurities is useless. A couple ways you can lose your saltiness. Um, being quiet when you should speak, like I just said. Allowing our thinking to be governed by the world, not by God's standards. Is your thinking more like God's thinking, or is your more thinking like the world's thinking? Number two, being light glorifies God. Being light glorifies God. John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but have, will have the light of life. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are all the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Verse 14 in Matthew chapter 5. But you are the light of the world. Set a city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and hide it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I love it because Jesus says, You are light. So if you're a Christian today, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're light. So my question to you is. How bright's your light? Is it a seven-watt bulb over here in the corner to light the corner of your house? Like a night light? Is it a 60-watt bulb that's like in your, on a lamp on your, on your counter? 
Are you, are you next to your bed? Are you a 100-watt bulb? Are you a 1,000-watt bulb? How bright is your light? The great thing about being light is you can be lighter. You can be brighter. Just because you're maybe a new Christian or something's gone wrong in your life and you, you go, God, I'm not really that bright right now because I'm ashamed of what I've done or I'm living in this sin. You, know, you can get rid of that and be a brighter light. You can do that. That's the great thing about G, who Jesus is. He wants to constantly transform us into who he wants us to be. Don't be stagnant and go, you know what, I'm, I've been this dill, dill, I'm not sure where that came from, dim light all along. I just, that's just who I am. No, that's not who you are. God says you're light. God wants you to be a bright light. Light shines. I, I love this one. It says, um, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill does not, but a light put on, under a basket, but in a lampstand that gives light to all who are in the house. When you have a house, right, house dark, just dark in your house, as dark as you can put it, you turn on a light, the darkness has to leave. The darkness is expelled. It's just gone. Some ways you can hide your light. You can go along with the crowd or the world. You can deny God's truth. There's some people that, that I would consider maybe a secret Christian. They're a Christian. They go, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't tell anybody. Or I just want to live my good life in front of people, but they don't say anything. I think you need to say something. What well, doesn't mean you need to come on tomorrow morning at work and go, all right, everybody get together. I want to tell you about Jesus. That doesn't mean that. That might not be bad. It depends on where you work. You might not have a job. But when something comes up, you need to tell people why you do what you do. You need to be that light. You need to be that salt. But the, the, last, the last verse, verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our good works glorify God. When people see our good works, when we do the right thing, when we do something extraordinary or we do something different, but we do the right thing for God's reason, when people say, that's really cool, we should say, yes, I do that because I'm a Christian. Or I do that because I learned this, then my Bible says I need to be honest. Or my Bible says I need to do such and such. Why did you help me? Because I'm supposed to help those that can't help themselves. I'm supposed to be a servant and help people. Because I heard this thing the other day, it's called the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan helped this guy, so I just want to help you. We need to use our words. And we need to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works, but glorify him. You don't want people to see our good works and glorify me. That's not what the Bible says. We, they see what we do and we glorify God. So they can glorify God. Or even they get to know who he is. Let your light shine before men and women that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
So this next few, this next few minutes, here's what I want to do. I had, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Joe talked about the Ten Commandments. And he, he was wondering how many people knew the Ten Commandments, where they were, and kind of what they said, and how many people could name them all. He didn't ask for hand raising and people stand up. Um, so, and then the next couple of days I did, I was doing an exercise where we took some of the negative, the don'ts in the Ten Commandments, don't do this, don't do this, and kind of turn around and say, you know, do this, do that. So I thought that was kind of cool. So I'm going to kind of use that format. Um, if you know where the Ten Commandments are, um, you can follow along with me if you want to. But if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, we're not going to read these verse for verse, but we're going to kind of go through these as kind of a, um, a comparison. Um, you notice right where above where we start number one on the worksheet, I was going to name that the Ten Commandments of Work, but that didn't sound right because it sounded like if you do these things, you're good. And I didn't want that to happen, so I just left it blank. Um, so you can label that whatever you want to label it. So we're just going to go back and forth. We're going to do 10 of them. There are a lot more aspects of working or being at work or doing good works that can glorify God than just these 10. So don't take these 10 and go, oh, this is what God said. This is all I'm going to do. No, there's a lot more than that. God just has, God has time limits because um, I could talk about this all day and you probably wouldn't want to sit and listen to me all day. Number one, it says there is a God and you're not him. Uh, first commandment is have no other gods before me. So there is a God and you aren't him. Genesis 1, 1 says in the beginning God. Exodus 13, 14 says I am who I am. That's when, that's when uh, Abraham was talking to the burning bush. And Abraham says, well, who, I'm going to go talk to these people who told me to talk to the children of Israel. Who am I supposed to say you are? He said, tell them I am who I am. In the Hebrew, the word is mean to be. Am is to be, just to be. So actually, it's I be who I be. Not great English, but good theology. I am who I am. I think the first thing we need to realize in whatever we do, whether it be at work, whether it be here, whether it be wherever it is, to know that there is a God who loves you. There is a God that cares for you. There is a God that cares for you so much that he sent his son to die in your stead. But there is a God that's so awesome that wants you to live in a way that would bring him the most glory, but in turn, it would also bring you the most glory. And you're not him. Because we have a very self-centered life. Our world is very centric around one person. That's usually me. So number one, there is a God and you're not him. Number two, um, it is the commandment of no idols, have no idols. This one is to be faithful to your employer. Now, let me make sure you understand. I'm not saying being faithful to your employer over God. It's not what I'm saying. I think we need faithful employees. As an employer, you would want your, your employees to be faithful, dependable, on time. I had a lady come up to me this morning and I, where I talked about being punctual on time. Punctual on time and thinking, I think to me, that's the easiest part of your job is just to get there on time. Now, maybe not on these roads, I, I get that. I mean, I leave early and all that, but I understand. But getting there on time is sometimes the easiest part of your job because the job is just hard sometimes. She came to me today after the first one. She said, you know what? She says, I'm always five, ten minutes late. But my boss is okay with that. She goes, but I should not be okay with that. 
I said, amen. So tomorrow morning, she's going to try to get there at 6.30 when she's supposed to be there. I thought that was pretty good. So being, being on time, being dependable. Does your employer go, I don't want to lose this employee. That's a faithful employee. Don't burn the bridges on the way out the door. I think there's a big one about being, employ about being a, a good employee. I used to do hiring a couple jobs ago. And one question I would always ask is, if you were to be hired today, when could you start? And if they said tomorrow and they had a job, they were going to leave them in a lurch and they were going to leave us next time they got a better job. So I wouldn't hire them. Because you want a good employee going in and you need to be that good employee. You want to be the employee when, they, when you leave that they go, that's hard. We're, we're not doing good. We need to do better. So you need to be that employee that's faithful to um, your employer. Number three, the, number, the third commandment is do not take the Lord's name in vain. Number three on your sheet is your words matter. Your words matter. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Your words matter at work. When you are a supervisor, even just an employee with, you know, a co-employee, your words to that person really, really matter. There's a way you can talk to an employee that doesn't denigrate who they are. You can help that employee be a better employee without, without belittling them. And as a Christian, we should never have anybody t talk about us as being cussing and fussing. I knew Christians in other jobs I've had that they would say they're Christians, but then their words come out of their mouth were horrible. Horrible. I'm like, there's no way if that's a Christian, I would be like that. Cussing and joke, bad joke. It's just, it's just horrible. We shouldn't do that. And that's where you step in to be that salt, especially if you know the person's a Christian. We don't talk that way. That's ridiculous. Just being a good employee. That way, that time, you can, you, you, you're salt, you're light, you season your, your, your speech with grace, and you glorify God all in one, and you're a good employee. Or where you live, work, and play. It could be, could be out on the ball field. It could be at school. But our words matter. Let me just throw this caveat in there. Also, this, this, your Facebook posts matter. If you're on Facebook, I'm not, I don't want to raise a hand, but if you're on Facebook, what you say on Facebook matters. What you post matters. If you post, this, I learned this not too long ago. I learned what a meme is. Yeah, I didn't know what a meme was about six months ago. So I finally found out what a meme was. If you don't know what a meme is, ask the youngest person around. They'll know. So I, I was, I, I was um, on Facebook, I was watching, and there's a, there was a meme, had a picture and some bad language in it. And I, this girl I was working with had, was my friend on Facebook. And I told her, I said, I've got to unfriend you because I can't have what you're saying attached to who I am. And she understood that. She goes, okay. She goes, because you're a Christian, right? I said, yep. But I didn't just unfriend her, didn't tell her. I unfriended her and told her why. That's the witness part. About a year or so later, she gave her life to Christ, became a Christian, and then she came up to me and said, hey, God, can we be friends again on Facebook? I said, sure. That was fine. And now her posts are much better. Good stuff. Also, when you're on Facebook and you're looking at the, you know, where you go, that's a really cool picture I want to put on there, or it's something I want to say, but it's from a site, 
right? You're sharing something from a site that has all cuss words in it. Don't do that. Don't share that on your Facebook page. It may be something cool, but if it's from expletive, expletive, homeboy, or whatever, don't do that. Right? I mean, because people see that and they go, that's, that's supposed to be a Christian. So just use your words. Words matter. Number four, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Rest from your work. Number four, rest from your work. I know sometimes we can't rest from work because we don't, we don't have our own schedule. I get that. I get sometimes you, you have a boss and to keep that job, you have to work five, six, seven days a week, 10 hours. I've been there, done that. I understand. But somehow you got to fix, you got to rest into that, right? And day, day one through six, God made everything. He made all the good stuff. Day six, he made man. Day seven, he rested. So our first day on earth as mankind, we got to rest. So we work from our rest. We don't rest from our work. So if you have it in your schedule, make sure you get a chance to rest. Rest, you know, spend time with your family, spend time with your friends, spend time with Jesus. Please spend time with Jesus. Spend time in his word. But rest. Rest. Number five, um, honor your mother and father. This was a harder one to kind of figure out how to finagle maybe is a good word. I just said be family. I've had a couple jobs where I did not like going to my job, but I liked the people when I got there. Anybody ever been there? Job stinks, the hours stink, but the people are great. That's the family atmosphere where you, you grow as a family. You know, maybe that means when you go out to lunch, you ask everybody, not just the people you like, you ask everybody to go out to lunch. You do birthdays. A couple places I worked, they, had, they did birthdays for everybody. You had like a card when you got in the morning. I thought that was really cool. The job wasn't great, but they liked me. So that was good. A couple ways to be, to be family, love one another. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 4, 11, 1 John 4, 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought, to, we ought to love one another. Care for one another. If you're a supervisor or an owner of a company, or even a coworker, and something happens to one of your coworkers, just for an example, say your coworker had, had a baby, or your coworker's wife had a baby. How much would that hurt you to call up and say, hey, how are they doing? Nothing, right? A couple minutes on the phone, go visit them in the hospital maybe, send them a text. That pays huge dividends in the, in the world that says they care for me. If the people around you work for you, care for you, that makes a really good working environment for everybody and more productive for those that you want to be cost effective, productive. Serve one another at work to be family. As in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the, of the manifold grace of God. So how do you serve one another? Well, my thought is you, nothing should be below you as a coworker, a boss, or whatever. You should be able to serve those people at work. Let's say everybody in your work is really, really busy. At the end of the day, maybe it's Friday, whenever. It's busy, things are going on, and you don't really have much to do. And you're thinking, how can I jump in there? Well, maybe take the trash out. I told one person this. I told, I told a boss one time. Um, I was talking to him, and um, he was mid-level management. 
I said, well, I said, when's the last time your employee saw you take out the trash? He said, well, I don't take out the trash. I said, why not? He goes, it's not my job. I said, what would it do for your employees if they saw you take out the trash and help them clean up at the end of the day? He goes, oh. What an idea, huh? Help somebody else. Help them out. Go home at the same time. Be that employer, that boss, that coworker that helps everybody out. So help serve them. Be family. Number six, um, the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. You shall not murder. Number six, be kind, I think. Just to be kind to one another. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Be kind. Just be kind. There's a way to talk to people. There's a way to act around people. Just if you're just kind to them, kindness will come back to you. Now you're saying, I know a lot of people that aren't really kind to my work. They're just mean. Been there. You pray for them. Pray for them. Does that mean they're going to be kind? Maybe not. But you can't help them be kind. Only thing you can do is help yourself be kind. That makes for a good work environment. And being kind glorifies God. Being kind, glorify God. Glorifies God. Number seven, it says you should not commit adultery. This one I said, be fair. Number seven, be fair. Treat all the people the same. We are all created in the image of God. Galatians 3, 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We should not treat anybody different at work because of what they look like, because of their gender, even their dislikes and likes. You should not treat them any different. If they're doing the same job, you should care for them. Why? Even because you don't like them or because they're different than you, if you like them and treat them kindly and fairly, they may one day say, why are you treating me like this? I thought Christians didn't like so-and-so. You see, Jesus loves everybody. Treat everybody fairly. Treat every, we're all created in the image of God. Treat everybody fairly. Years ago, I was on my, on my last ship. I was, uh, I was in the Navy last ship. This guy came in. He was, really, he was really having a hard time dealing with being in the military. Just having a hard time. So I just befriended him because I was, I, was I, was, I was one of his supervisors. We talked a lot. We you know, ate meals together just to kind of get him eating and, and just kind of acclimating to shipboard life. Um, well, five or six months down the road, we were doing something. He came, he came up to me and he said, Smitty, it's really hard to be your friend. I, I wasn't very nice, right? I'm trying to be friends with this guy, right? He tells me it's real hard to be my friend. I said, Willie, why is, why is it hard to be your friend? He said, because you're trying to treat everybody so fair that I feel like you're treating me unfair. Well, don't be that guy. Don't be like me, right? Treat everybody fairly. Don't try to treat everybody so fairly you treat somebody unfairly. I was doing it so, because they knew I had a friendship with him. But don't do that. Be fair to everybody. Number eight says, you shall not steal, Ten Commandments. Number eight, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. Do people trust you? Does your workers trust you with your stuff? 
In 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it says, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Do you take stuff home from work? Do you take some time at work that you shouldn't take? Do you clock in and go eat breakfast when it's not allowed? Do you, I mean, there's just all sorts of things that we need to be good workers at. Be these people that we are above reproach. Be trustworthy. Do they trust you with taking the money to the bank maybe? I don't know what, you're, what it is for you. I don't know. But to the people at your work, do your supervisors, do they trust you? Do people trust you with their confidence? They, hey, can we talk? That's a big one. Do they trust you with just talking to them? Be trustworthy. Number nine, the Bible says in Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, number nine, be honest on the worksheet. Matthew 5, 37 says, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Can you be trustworthy in your words? When you say, I'm going to do it by this deadline, do you do it? There's some businesses that if you, you, don't, if you promise on, on like Friday and it's not done Friday, you may not get paid. You need to be honest. And maybe there's something you can't do. That's okay. Say, no, I don't know how to do that, but I'd love to learn. Be honest. Use your words. Let your yes be yes and no be no. I used to always say, fake it till you make it, right? It's not a really good way to live. Don't fake it till you make it. Know what you're doing and be honest. Number 10, the Bible says, you shall not covet. 1 Timothy 6, I said be content. Number 10, be content. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness actually is means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Are you content with what you're doing at work? Now, that doesn't mean that because you're content with your work, you don't want to have a better um, position at your work. That's not what I'm saying. Because there's a lot of times where you're like, well, I had a conversation with the lady yesterday. She started to work from home. She said, God, I had a really hard time with, do I, I'm content with what I'm doing, but I want more, right? I want more responsibility. She said, I want a pay raise. I, I do want, and I, I said, I asked her, did she ask? She says, I did, and they gave it to me. So I was a little bit, because I was a little bit taken back. She was content with where she was, but she wanted to do better. And that had been more influence in her life to, with, for Jesus, but what if they would have said, you know, Diane, you're not ready for that. Then she should have said then to be content going, okay, what do I need to do better myself to, to do that, to be better? Contentness, contentness does not mean just you're there just to be there and you don't want to, you have no ambitions. So when I was going through Southeastern back in the early 2002, whenever it was, um, I worked at UPS overnight, and I had a lot of Christian people come through from Southeastern, had other Christians come through the, through the hub. And I was a training supervisor, so everybody came through the, everybody came through the door, I had to train. And I always took the Christians aside, because it was my belief that a Christian should be, do the best work they can at their work environment, and if there's opportunities for them to move up, they should take those opportunities. So that way they can be in, they can influence more people for Jesus. No, I know there's people that have jobs that 
that you work just by yourself, you work at home maybe, or you're, you know, you're in a certain area where that's all you do. They, I get that, and there's no really um, ability to move up. But if there is, then you should want that, the ability to move up so that way you can influence more people for Jesus. You can, you can teach people how to be a good supervisor or just influence them. You can be that salt and light in their life. And it was great. So when I first got to UPS, they had like nine or ten work areas. And um, there was one or two Christians at each work area. By the time we left, all but one work area was run by a Christian. And I think that's great because that way the Christian can show how they work well, how they show mercy, how they show love, how they show family on the work area. So be content, but also want to want desire some more. I mean, I know it sounds like it's, it's conflicting, but it's not. But how, so how do we do all this? How do you, all those 10 things, how do you do all that? Well, I think the bottom, the last one is, to glorify God, you must put on Christ every day. Now, some of you may work in a place that, has, that wears a uniform or a shirt that has a patch that says where you work or, or a ball cap, crazy ball caps like Tommy has that know, that know where you work. We don't all do that, right? We all walk around and we don't, you know, I can't tell what people do for a living or, or who they are. But if we put on Christ every day by ourselves, we know, look at Romans 13, 14. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Galatians 3, 27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So you put on Jesus. You know who's got on where you live, work, and play out there in the community to be, to be light, to be salt. Walking through the parking lot, driving downtown, whatever. Put Christ on so the way people know by your actions. Let your light shine before men that may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Say so glorify him. That's how we put on Jesus. Now maybe that means tomorrow when you get ready to go to work, you're going, what did he say? What did he say yesterday? And you, and you, kinda, you, put, your, you put your button up your shirt, you go, I'm putting on Christ. Maybe you need to be mentally thinking that. So when you go out, your actions speak of who is inside you. And as you're doing that, pray for those people at work. Pray for your workers. Pray for your bosses. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for the owner. I don't know where you work, but if you know people by name, pray for them. And if you don't know the people that you work with by name, go get to know them. But pray for your workers. Put on Christ. Know your workers. Let your light shine before your co-workers, your, the grocery store attendants, whatever. Let your light shine before them that they may see your good works, what you do, how you are, how you act, and glorify Jesus Christ who's in heaven. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. You love us. As many mistakes as we make, as many things as we do that maybe aren't pleasing to you, you still love us. We thank you. We thank you for an opportunity to come along and be those Christians at work, to glorify you in our work, to do what we can do to give you the glory, Father. Because it says in the Catechism, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God 
and to enjoy him forever. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, please visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world. Thank you.